1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Raw Reaction Show, joining you this morning at 8am UK time. Hope you're doing good, hope you're doing well. Thank you for joining me in the morning after the aftermath, if you like, of Arsenal's 1-0 win over Crystal Palace in their second Premier League game of a brand new season. It was a performance which ultimately was pretty similar to the Forest one, to be honest. Lots of dominance, lots of the ball, and um, at least until the red card, of course. And uh, a limited number of chances being created, but ultimately in the end, coming away with three very important points from a place that is the cliche of a very, very difficult place to go on a Monday night. Uh, and Palace certainly have been that side for Arsenal in the past, Remember that 3-0 defeat, of course. And that silly stat that Arsenal have not won a Premier League game away from home on a Monday night under Mikel Arteta is now very much in the bin. So we can be very thankful about that. Uh, But good morning to those joining us live in today's chat box. Very much appreciated. Streamyard's done plenty of people dirty this morning. I've noticed YouTube trying to catch up. Delts. Good morning to you, to Matt G, to Marcus, Temi, Blackshine, Morgie, Rob, Paul, PJ. Uh, Peter, Mr. SNLO, uh, Mr. E, Gunner Dude, Gunner Jake, uh, we've got Steve Stone, Rich, Peter, uh, Tony, Roger, Martin, uh, Mr. Arsenal, front row, and plenty more of you guys as well. Thank you, everybody. Who else can I see in StreamYard? Who is StreamYard giving the credit to? Uh, morning to Mr. Bravo, uh, to Natty, good morning to LK, good morning to um, RJ, Penny Ween. Uh, Emeka, Leslie, good morning. Hope you're all doing good and well. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. Uh, let's crack on with today's stories and slides, shall we? Obviously, Arsenal winning 1 0 uh, with a dominant performance ruined by a poor officiating decision. Um, sending off of Takiro Tomiyasu, we'll come on to in more detail in a little bit. But What it does mean is that Arsenal, along with Brighton and Manchester City, are the only sides with a 100% perfect record currently uh, in the Premier League. Uh, Liverpool sitting... Uh, with Brentford and Spurs and West Ham on four points so far. Then we go down to Newcastle in eighth on three points, joined by Aston Villa, Forest Palace, Manchester United and Fulham. Uh, Down in the one points, we've got Bournemouth uh, and Chelsea. And then Sheffield United, Luton, Burnley, uh, Wolves and Everton, who have failed so far to win a single game. Um, So really interesting games, of course, coming up. Brighton will play West Ham United at home next. Manchester City will go away to Sheffield United and Arsenal will be at home to Fulham. So you'd expect all three sides probably to win those games. But who knows? Interesting things can indeed happen. Uh, Let's talk about Eddie and Uh, Nketiah. I've described the good, the bad and the brilliant um, from the player. I was really kind of conflicted when talking this morning specifically about uh, the winners and losers. I wrote my winners and losers at Football.London every single game. And I was really kind of torn about which section to put Eddie and Nketiah in. And I think some people will put him into the loser section. I ended up putting him into the winner section. He absolutely had to feature in one or, or the other um, because he was a really big part of today's story. And I think, or yesterday night's story, the chance that he obviously missed um the the second one in particular he absolutely categorically no excuses has to score um really does the first chance is just brilliantly created by him the little spin the dribbling um and you know a very difficult finish and one he nearly very very nearly put away was really strong there i thought his wide play was really good. Something that wasn't really picked up on, but the way in which he drifted into the wide right and left flanks, a little bit like Gabriel Jesus has done on a semi-regular occasion as well. And I think that's part of Jesus's game that I've wanted to see Eddie and Ketia improve at is is how he joins the attack in those wide areas on counters in build-up, And he did that more so than I've seen in recent games. Of course, the the penalty that he won. Uh, really quick thinking from Declan Rice with, of course, the free kick and then his running behind taken out by Sam Johnston uh, did really, really well to win that. Um, and uh, yeah, very happy indeed that Odegaard managed to put it away. I think obviously there will be a bit of focus on the fact that he had those two big chances that he didn't um, take. But what I would say is that I think this is a better Eddie Nketiah than we've ever had. I think this is probably the the, the best version of Eddie that we have seen in an Arsenal shirt. And ultimately, if Jesus is to come back uh, and be fully fit and ready to go, he's got a real challenge, I think, right now to get back into the starting 11. And that's a credit to Enketia. And obviously, he will and should continue up front in the next game against Fulham. Let's hope he can get a goal. Um, but uh, yeah, I think if he can find that confidence, you know, find that finishing touch, which, to be honest, most of the time, most of us have backed him to do in those in that six-yard box. Um, and so ultimately Eddie Nketiah has been the best version of himself I think in an Arsenal shirt and that should be something that he is uh, praised for and I think that it's pretty revealing I think in probably individuality online about how you see people commenting on YouTube videos or tweeting about or posting uh, about Eddie Nketiah Um, I think it reveals maybe something of an agenda sometimes against the player you can't appreciate the good things over the bad things in yesterday's game I think probably never going to like him um and that's probably re- you know a, a revelation that that you yourself need to talk to yourself about uh the tommy asu red card was the other obviously big talking point from the game um i don't really have any qualms with the first yellow card at all i know that there was the whole thing about he was only holding the ball for eight seconds but he was sadly a victim of havertz and i think Partey and others uh, that were involved in time wasting prior to that and uh, when he went to take the throw and then stopped, that he was always going to get a yellow card in that moment. But it's obviously the second yellow card that I think is really just, I, I can't quite get my head around how that quantifies ascending off. Like for me, there is a difference between a first yellow and getting a second yellow. And I don't think that that is a controversial statement is that there is a difference between getting your first yellow And the second one, because the second one, if you get a red card, it completely changes the context of the game. And I think that a red card has to be worthily deserved. And it wasn't a tug. It was holding the player. It's a contact sport. You get, you know, there is always going to be holding of players. And IU goes down after feeling some kind of small amount of pressure and buys that yellow card. Absolutely buys the yellow card. Tommy Asher should feel very hard done by it. For those thinking VAR should have got involved, they can't. VAR can't get involved for second yellows. They can only get involved for straight reds. Um, and I'm pretty sure that Jordan Ayu did something very similar whilst on a yellow card to Bakaya Saka. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he did something very, very similar and went, and went unfunished. Unfunished? <laughs> Unpunished. Um, and so for that reason... I just felt as though that the game overall was tarnished and the performance overall was affected by something that was taken out of Arsenal's control. Um, and ultimately, like if there's criticisms of the overall performance not being dominant enough, I personally think we would have gone on to win this by two, maybe even three, had we had 11 men on the pitch for the full game. But what I will say is that I think we managed the end of the game as well as we could. You're coming up against a home side at Crystal Palace, where, as we talked about, a really difficult place to be. Really young, energetic team, full of running, lots of quality in their side. Eberache is a fantastic talent. Uh, bringing off the bench players like Saki, who looks an exciting young guy. There's so much energy in that man, Crystal Palace team. And if you're, going to, if you're going down to 10 men, that is going to be you know, the it's going to be a turning point and they are going to pressure you. They are going to have more of the ball and psychologically you are going to have to react to that. And I thought the way in which we dealt with going down to 10 men um, was was really good. We defended solidly. We cleared the ball. We limited them to very few chances. Yes, I think odson Edward should have scored, um, but he didn't and you got to take those chances. But we limited them to very few big opportunities and that's, for me, two games in a row that despite having that one goal lead, we've seen out really, really well to claim those three points. Whereas you've looked at Arsenal in previous seasons, even last season, and we've been in positions whereby we're one goal up uh, or we need to hold out. You think about the, uh, the the Liverpool game last season where we just it felt like an inevitability that Liverpool would equalise. It didn't feel that way um, in either of the last two games despite only leading by a single goal. And I think that's really important for the way in which Arsenal have evolved this season is... The composure, the confidence, the calmness when we're in that situation is that of a a much better team than we have been in recent seasons. Declan Rice, for me, was absolutely man of the match. Dominant, physical, you know, it's it's close to a 9 out of 10 performance. You know, I think he just lacked a goal, (laughs) which would probably give him a 10 out of 10 display. But he was so brilliant in, in what he produced in the middle of the field, the recoveries, the tackling, the progressive passing, the spraying of the ball out wide uh, to find teammates in space. That is a performance of a £100 million player that we've needed. Uh, it's a performance of a player in that position that we have longed for. Um, and yeah, just just by far was man of the match in this game. I thought there were other obviously players that had really good games as well. But Rice stood out um, amongst nearly everybody else. The only other player that I really would give almost equal credit to was William Saliba, and we'll talk about him shortly. But I do want to talk about Kai Havertz as well uh, because he continues to divide opinion. I think that there is a real danger here, uh, sadly, of, of kind of this this player and the profile and the view of this player, um, the perspective of this player, running away from him with certain sections of the fan base. Um, I thought off the ball, he was absolutely brilliant. Um, and that ultimately isn't really referenced or looked at by most people because we're a possession-based side. And I get that. I absolutely understand that. And I agree with it. You know, do I think that Leandro Trossard, were he playing um in that role, would he have had a better game? I think he probably would have done, yeah. Um, and I think that Havertz was tasked with doing a lot off the ball, which he did well, but there are times, and I thought throughout the game, that we had most of the ball before the red card. And I think his best moments probably came after the red card because we were out of possession more and he was good at kind of being an outlet and getting the ball up the field. But there were some really good touches and really good timing of passes. But The amount of times I saw people tweeting saying he was non-existent. I mean, it's just lazy. It's just not watching him. That's that's all I can assume that it is. And it's just you're not watching what Havertz is doing if um, if the view of it is he did nothing in this game. It just because it's just factually untrue. It's like the the Nottingham Forest game when people said he didn't do anything, and yet you can find highlight reels of, of every contribution that he made in the game. It's just not true. Now that's not me saying that he had a great game or a, even a good game. I don't think he had a, a great game at all. I think it was a, a very it was just a decent game from from Kai Havertz. You know, wasn't bad, wasn't great, was just a very solid five six out of ten performance, um, and. I think that ultimately when we go home uh, next week against Fulham, he's probably going to start again. Those are the games when we've got a lot of the ball that I want to see him thrive in. But also when we come up against some very big sides, we know that Havertz can turn up in big games, be it a Champions League final against Manchester City. We know he can turn up in these types of games. So I think that there is so many more opportunities to come for Kai. but I am very frustrated that we get these lazy views that, he didn't do anything at all because it's just not true and it's just misrepresenting the performance and the things that he did in the game but I do want to see more I did feel as though maybe he could have come off for Alejandro Trossard and had we have had 11 men on the pitch until the end um, maybe we could have done that and I do feel bad for someone like Trossard whose performances have been outstanding really and he's not got uh, minutes in that game which is a frustration but we'll probably see him very very soon I'm sure The other player I said, other than than Declan Rice, who I thought was brilliant, was William Saliba. Absolutely astonishingly good. Yes, he made that mistake, uh, which allowed Jordan Ayo to get in. But what a tackle. Risky, and you have to win it. And if he doesn't win it, he gives away a penalty. And we're probably having a very different conversation about his performance. But what a dominant, composed, calm display from a player that... um, Ultimately, is it just transforms this Arsenal team at the back. And people question why Gabriel didn't start. And we'll talk about that in a second as well. But Saliba in that left centre-back role, I feel as though enables us to be more fluid, a little bit more protective of the back line, especially if you've got an inverted player like a Zinchenko or a Timber or even a Tommy Asse to some degree because he has greater mobility than Gabriel does, greater recovery speed and arguably better um, tackling in some of those positions as well. So I think that because of that, I can see why Arteta is using him there. But it does raise the question about Gabriel continuing to be in bench. Now, Arteta was asked about Gabriel um, after the game. He says, uh, is it anything to do with speculation? Of course, we've seen links with Saudi Arabia and Real Madrid yesterday. Uh, Arteta said, nothing at all. It's about games that we are expecting, how we were going to defend and attack, and I believe it is the best thing. He's played in both games and helped us to win both games for different reasons. He was really good today. He absolutely dominated the box when he came on and he's going to play a lot of games. That's the decision sometimes. And I do sympathise with that view of Arteta is that he talked about at the start of the season that we've got so much depth in the squad that sometimes starters are going to be left out. Sometimes players like Gabriel, like Zinchenko, like um, Leandro Trossard, players that we think should be starting games, they're not going to be starting games. Uh, And he told us that. And he's delivering on that. And let's be honest, two games in a row when we've had 11 men on the pitch and Partey's played right back, We've dominated possession. We've dominated the amount of possess- um, territory we have in the opposition half. And that comes from a control in the system and the formation. Criticisms of the system, I don't agree with. You have to evolve as a team. You have to improve. You have to take what you've done last season and move it to that next level. We didn't win the league last season. We didn't do enough to win the league last season. Yes, the injury to Saliba and Tommy Ass was a big part of that. But if you stand still and you do the same things that you did last season you're only going to go backwards because the teams around you aren't going to stand still. So you have to move as well. You have to improve. You have to evolve as a club. And I think that that is the way forwards. And I think what Arteta is trying to do is really, really important. Now, Michael Arteta, as I mentioned, did discuss Gabriel, as we've talked about. He also talked about the red cards, um, in which he said, I prefer not to make comments because, for me, it's obvious. He was asked about the time-wasting. He said, for me, it's not an issue. It's the referee's call. They are consistent with that. They explained it, and the only thing we are asking for consi- is for consistency. If not, we have to play with the stopwatch to understand what it is and what it's not, which, again, is completely fair I don't really have too much to say about Arteta's comments really after the game because he didn't say anything all that controversial He was also asked about Martin Odegaard whether he's the new penalty taker and he says I have no clue it's about leadership of players and if they felt it was the right thing to do for me I'm fine they have to make those decisions on the pitch I was surprised like everybody else but he scored the goal which is an important thing and we won the game and you know Saka was having a decent game it wasn't like one of his most amazing or best games he was uh, you know, for a Saka contextual performance. It was probably one of his more just decent games. And it, I think that if Odegaard if had the confidence to take it, great. That's absolutely fine by me. I don't have, have uh, Saka as my captain in my fantasy, like a lot of other people may have done. Um, but uh, when it comes to Odegaard, he's very uh, composed. He's very good at seeing where the goalkeeper's going. I don't think I've ever seen him miss a penalty for us. Um, and it was important to get him on the score sheet this season, get his goals up and running this campaign, that was really, really key. But it is a first goal, not from open play, uh, which is not always the way with Erdegaard. But it's a good way to get him off the, the ground for goals this season. The Saka is already off the ground for goals this season. So I think it was a really good decision in the end. and And that was ultimately really, really important. Right, let's go to part two and your questions right after this. Right then, uh question time, i have got to take a drink in the break. that's always a mistake. get those questions in. really would appreciate that, and uh we'll tackle as many of them as we feasibly can um. Esmond says, "Why are people criticising Eddie and Havertz? They're really good play or slash great players and want more support from us. Eddie created four chances for himself. Uh, he's good at de- he's good in defence. He's good at dribbling. He's good at link up and he's fast. And Havertz was great too. I don't know if Havertz was great. You know, I wouldn't go that far. I think that might be taking things a bit far. I Thought Havertz was, as I say, decent. Uh, Eddie, in terms of the criticism, he's going to be that. You know, it's going to be that way. Uh, mag, ma- what's the? If someone is magnanimous, what's the?" What's the verb of it? I don't know. Um, If you are someone who's humble enough to kind of look back on an opinion that you've had on a player to be able to say, you know what? I got this one wrong. You know, I got this wrong. As you know, I have done a million times with things. I've got loads of things wrong. And one of those things that I've said in the past is that I never thought Eddie Nketu would really make it at Arsenal. And I've always wanted to be wrong about this. And I'm hoping that he's going to continue to try and prove me wrong because it's for the benefit of Arsenal. But sadly not everyone is going to be that way and you're not going to get everybody turning around and holding their hands up and saying you know what? i was wrong about eddie i actually think he could be someone that is a real asset for us and if he continues to play games like he did yesterday but gets on the score sheet and improves you know he very quickly is going to be proving a lot of people wrong but he's not the most fashionable of players um and and that doesn't really help his cause sadly for a lot of people um Mike says, Tom, uh, you've obviously been critical of Arteta's in-game management previously. I thought that Jorginho Zinchenko subs, uh, though not perhaps expected, produced a great result at that time. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think Arteta got his substitution spot on yesterday, Mike. Um, I think that Jorginho was a really good pick that no one was really asking for. Some people, I'm sure, were. But I didn't really see any calls at all for Jorginho to come on and I didn't even think about it. But he added that real good, solid control that we needed on the ball, the calmness as soon as he came on the field, we had that period of, of possession on the left-hand side in injury time, and it just kind of killed the momentum that Palace had built up towards the 90th minute, and so that was really, really key from us. So having someone like Jorginho on the bench that you can bring on and have in the team is is really important, and we benefited a lot from that, I thought. I thought he was really, really good when he came on, and, and I thought Arteta's substitutions were were strong as well, and ultimately led into us winning the game. Um Djan says, Tom, so we paid $65 million, made Havertz the highest paid player to be okay in a game and blocking players like Trossard and Smith Rowe getting minutes. Djan, this is the second game of the Premier League season. We paid $65 million over a, what a five-year contract. And if you're saying that £65 million pounds is now being categorically judged and concluded on after two games, it just doesn't make sense. You're contradicting yourself because you can't bring up the £65 million pounds without talking about the length of time that we've invested in the player. You know, and I'm not sure that he is the highest-paid player. I don't think those reports are accurate, by the way. So I wouldn't necessarily believe those um, because I don't think he is earning more than Bakaya Saka is earning. Um, I don't think he's earning more than, than Declan Rice is earning, to my understanding. So I wouldn't necessarily believe those reports that said about £300,000 per week. You know, I, I wouldn't take those. I would take those of a very large pinch of salt. But it's such a contradiction to say that we invested all this money, but at the same time completely forget the length of contract we've given to the player. We've invested in a player over a period of time. So if you're coming to conclusions after two league games, it's just a contradiction of that entire look at the amount of money that we paid for him. At least give him half a season, at least half a season. But to to start making these judgments two games in is just contradictory. Uh, Harry says, Tom, if we keep playing like this, then bigger teams will turn us over for sure. Well, we have played a big team, Harry. We played Manchester City in the community shield and we played in this style and we've played with uh, this dominant possession based thing. And what I think you're forgetting as well, Harry, is that Mikel Arteta has talked about change and he's talked about the change of system and being malleable and changing things up for different opponents so that if you play like this against big teams, maybe, maybe we'll be more vulnerable. But who's to say that we will play like this against big teams? If you think that we're going to play exactly the same in every single game, then you've not been listening to what Arteta has been saying. You've not been listening to what he's been telling us, which is that we are going to be changeable, that we are going to adapt, that we are going to be changing players and systems and formations for different types of opponents. So to say that if we're going to keep playing like this against bigger teams, we're going to get turned over, doesn't fall in line with what we're being told is going to happen because we are going to change. We are going to improve. And I talked about this on the Arsenal Way last night. If you look at Manchester City at the start of last season, uh, uh, Pep Guardiola was doing loads of tweaking, he was doing loads of um, kind of stuff with Rico Lewis, a kanji and eventually they settled on this role of John Stones being this inverted midfielder playing on a right hand side of the defense with the kanji on the left hand side and playing basically without fullbacks in some ways. But City spent a lot of the first half of last season with a lot of tweaking. And that's going to be us in the first half of this season as well. You're going to see a lot of changes, a lot of differences. And what you're also going to see is a lot more spaces open up against certain teams. You know, Man City, Liverpool, Man United in a couple of weeks' time, they're not going to be sitting back like, like Crystal Palace were at times and hitting on the break. They're not going to be doing what um, what Nottingham Forest did when they come to the Emirates. It's going to be a very different game this whole idea that you know if we play like this against x team it doesn't make any sense to me because every game is different we're being told that we're going to change things and that's ultimately what's most important so instead of you know this apocalyptic negative det- detracting world view of arsenal from two games why not be patient why not actually wait and see why not why not wait for the fact and then make these negative comments instead and they are for me negative comments that's not a criticism You know, if we play this, we're going to get turned over. That is just negativity because it's extrapolating from what we have seen for a situation that's very different to the situation we find ourselves in now. It is negative what I would say is I'd be looking at the successes of adaptability. I'd look at how we played and what formation and system we used against Manchester City, which enabled us to stay very competitive throughout that entire game. And then I'd see how did that system change against a side like Nottingham Forest, where we then decided to play part out right back and bring Havertz into the midfield and have an extra forward so that if we were dominating control of the ball, which we were in both games, that we would have better chances to score more goals. We've changed things against Man City than we did you know, against those. And people say that Man City, the you know, community is a glorified friendly. You tell the players or you ask Arteta if you thought it was a glorified friendly. Because for them, they took it very seriously and they took that game and they uh, performed in that game like it was a competitive Premier League game. So I just think it's a bit negative to say and extrapolate from those performances. Um, right, I don't want to address this. I know Marcus is saying TGT rant in full and Kirill saying, calm down, Tom, think about your heart, mate. I've had a few people leave comments on videos previously over the last month or two about like the rants or things like that. You know, I I, I really struggle with I really sh- I struggle with it. I struggle with the criticism that we. I know some people are saying it in tongue and cheek, and I know who they are, and that's fine. But like, if I feel passionate about a topic, I'm going to talk about it at length. If I feel like I don't agree with something, I'm going to talk about it in detail. You know, I don't really feel like a Q and A session is just about this is the question, this is my answer move on. I feel like if I'm going to respect the question, I've got to be open and honest about my thoughts and feeling about that question. So you are going to get rants here. You are going to get me going off on tangents. You are going to get me doing monologues. If that's not for you, as I always tell people, there are other channels out there to watch. But please just, you know, respect the fact that it's an open and honest dialogue between all of us. And uh, if I want to have a rant, I'm going to have a rant and I'm not going to change. So that's the way that it goes. Uh, Dom says, uh, am I the only one that saw a shirt pull from Tommy Asu on Ayu? He stopped a counter attack. Yellow card. The first yellow was harsh. But as they said on Sky, Tommy took that yellow for the team. The first yellow I don't have an issue with. I didn't see a shirt pull. I saw a shirt being held. And I think there is a difference between a shirt being held and being pulled. Tommy Asu is moving with the player. And if he's moving with the player, then you're not pulling back the player. If he feels the pressure and he goes down, I don't think that's enough to change the game. Do you know? I don't think it's. If you give a red card as a referee, you have to understand that you have got to justify. You have to justify the decision to give the second yellow card based upon the action that you've that you've seen is worthy enough of such a decision, which will change the entire flow of the fixture. And I don't think what Tommy Asu did was worthy in that moment of a punishment that was equating to what ultimately happened. That's how I view it. I think if it's his first action, sure, first yellow card. I think there is, for me, I think there should be a difference between the first and the second yellow. Now, I'm not privy to the rules around that. From the way in which I've watched football over the last however long I've watched football for, I have felt like players are booked in some ways for the first yellow and that there is a greater level of kind of, um, there is a bit more of a buffer for the second yellow card. And I think there was a moment in the, uh, women's world cup final, um, between England and Spain where the referee goes to book one of the Spanish players after they kicked the ball away. Um, trying to find who it was. Uh, I think it was, um, who was it that, that got the yellow, um, let me find it. It was uh, Ayingono um, or Paraluelo. I don't know which surname along the foot. <laughs> the Spanish, Spanish names are brilliant. Um, but pa- Paralo- Paralelo. Paralelo, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not doing this well at all. We? But the left winger for Spain, um, uh, Ayingono, I'm going to go with. She, oh, Salma Paraluelo. There you go. That's the best you're going to get me. But she was on a yellow card and she kicked the ball away. And the ref walked over to her with her hand in her pocket and then realized who it was and put the card. And it looked like she literally put the cards back in her pocket because she felt that that kicking of the ball away in that moment wasn't worthy of a 2nd yellow, and didn't realize that she'd already booked the player in the first half or, or partway through the second half. And for me, that, I don't have an issue with that. You know, I think kicking the ball away in that moment is worthy of a first yellow. I think if unless it's really, really cynical, like booting it into the stands when you just kicked it a few yards, you know, I mean, proper pelting up into Ed, Yeah, you can give a second yellow there. But if it's just like a little thing, I'm, I don't want to see players sent off for a second yellow card in those moments. And I just felt as though the ref kind of bought into the atmosphere. And I think, unfortunately, as a lot of referees I find do, sadly, make the game about themselves. And I think that David Coutts to some degree did. Now, what I will give credit to the referee for was not giving the penalty um, for Thomas Partey and Eze, I think it was. I thought Partey is, to a degree, a little fortunate. He puts himself in that position. The leg is there. He pulls his leg away at the last minute. Eze sees it, uses it, goes down. The referee doesn't buy it. But it's, it's one of those where if the referee gives it, I don't think VAR is going to overturn that. And there is a higher bar now for penalties and for handballs and stuff like that. That's what we're being told is the bar is now higher to get those things. Um, but I, I just feel as though that whilst I, f- I am critical of the referee's decision, I, I will be praising of the decision not to give that penalty. So fair play for that. But again, very, very not not good enough at all for... Uh, yeah. There you go. Um, Let's go to... Steve, I totally agree with you, Tom. You can't do exactly what you did last season. Expect to win the league. Every player in the team is going to play a fair amount of game time this season. Uh, Absolutely. Um, Delta's common sense isn't common enough in those situations. Agreed. Uh, So it says, while Arteta is tinkering, why not uh, introduce Smith Rowe to take Havertz's place? I don't think it's an unfair question. I think that maybe we would have seen Smith-Rowe if we were still leading 1-0 with 11 men on the field. I think you might have done. We saw Smith-Rowe come on, didn't we, against Nottingham Forest. So I think depending on the game state, we might have seen Smith-Rowe. But because of what happened in the game and going down to 10 men, that changed the plan. And uh, there wasn't really scope to bring him on. Havertz, what Havertz offers us in that moment is something of a target man. He gives us an outlet like he did against Manchester City in the Community Shield. So, you know... Juma says, Tom, say parallelogram. See, I can say that. (laughs) I can say parallelogram, no problem. But uh, Salma Paraluelo, uh, which I've done all right to pronounce there, was a little bit trickier. Um, (laughs) But there you go. Uh, Andrew says, I do not understand Arteta's thought process fully. It's not the usual Arsenal pattern of play. Things are different, but I do trust the guy. And I think that's what's important, Andrew, is that we need to trust him. We need to trust that what he's implementing is the right thing. We've got the points on the board. We're one of three teams in the leagues that only have two wins out of two, and we need to move forwards. And we ultimately aren't going to get everything that he does because we're not managers. You know, we're not coaches of a world-class standard. We're not going to understand everything. There has to be a certain level of priviness to our criticism that is, we don't know as much as this guy, and he knows more than football than we do. You know, we can't be arrogant, so arrogant that we think that we can question everything two games in and think that we are right, you know? There's question marks. I think we should ask questions in the early part of the season, and then our criticisms can be formulated over weeks and months, not two games. You know, I think that's really important. If we're coming up with conclusions after two games, I guarantee the likelihood of your conclusion being right, it's probably not going to be true, especially if it's very critical or negative at this stage. Um Lewis says, when we had 11 men, our possession stats were nuts. The dominance helps in both attack and defence. It conserves energy, which will be crucial for the run-in, and we need to improve creativity. But control is really important, absolutely. If Arsenal are controlling the ball, the opposition aren't scoring. And that's really, really key. Uh, James says, Tom, it's possible to think that Nketiah is a solid squad player and can offer things to the team, but also wonder why he is favoured over Trossard and why the Belgian seems to get less opportunities. I don't think that's unfair, James. I think it's possible to think that Nketiah um, is a good squad player, can offer us things, as you say, but also to question why Trossard's not being given more opportunities. I think that's absolutely fair. I don't have a disagreement with that, James, at all. Um, I think that Trossard is worthy of more minutes than he's getting, but he's sadly becoming a bit of a victim of how competitive the squad is and how few opportunities that we're going to be able to give to players in certain moments. When the Champions League's here, when the Cup games are here, you know, I'm sure that we'll be starting to see plenty of players get plenty of minutes in really important games. So let's see. Daniel says, Tom, how's the FPL? Well, I assume, Daniel, from your question... That uh, it's not going as well as I would like it to. Let's have a quick look at the TGT members' Discord. I tell you what, I know you're fifth, Dan, but I'm eighth out of how many people? 79. I'm doing pretty well. In the main TGT leagues, I think there's hundreds of people in there. I'm 133rd out of how many people are in this league now? Goodness me. Um, oh my goodness. How many? We've we got more than 500, more than 600. More than 700, more than 800. No, have we got 1,000 people? Oh my goodness me. We've got, how many people are in this? This is ridiculous. I didn't realize we had so many people. We have 1,313 people in our TGT League, which by the way, if you want to join, the code to do that is on your screen now. Bottom left-hand corner, CFJ092. I didn't realize we had so many people and I'm sitting in the top 10%. I'll take that. I'll take that all day long. Very, very happy indeed, Dan, with that. And there's a long, long way to go, mate. So relax. Relax, my friend. Uh, DJ says, Tom, with all the cars, the refs are taking the emotion out of the game and the risk is the game will become robotic and boring. Absolutely. Uh, Chenho Ho says, the formation change we had this season allows Eddie to play more around the box and less coming deep and linking up with players like Zeus did. And maybe things will change if we Jay Zeus. That's important to think about. Mike says, why do, the, why do people keep on about the number of games we'll play this season? It's no different to last season. In fact, progressing to the Europa League final is more games than that of the Champions League. Actually, it's not. Um, because now you have a bye past the last 32 if you, win your, um, if you win your group stage. So it's actually the same amount of games as we would have played last season, but we got knocked out pretty early on. If you finish second in the Europa League group, then you will have an extra game. And if you finish third in your Champions League group, you'll have an extra game as well because you'll drop into the champion, into the Europa League. But um, yeah, I think that the amount of games that we have is always going to be talked about as a lot, but we have a deep squad. We have a lot of players and that's fine. I still think we need to add two more, but I think we need to move on players more you know we're hopefully going to be moving players on in the next week or two um or less than week two because we haven't got two weeks left uh, of the uh, of the season so uh, it's going to be very very difficult indeed um eddie says do you think we should have we would have pushed for a second goal at the emirates at the same tactics would have been used um i mean we did get a second goal at the emirates when we played nottingham forest so i think the answer to that question was answered by the performance last week i think this week we know that it was affected by the fact that we went down to 10 men. And, and that's that's what's really, really important. I think what Dan points out here is important, though, when we talk about the number of games. The amount of competitive games with Europa, we can afford to play as second team players. We can't necessarily afford to do that in the Champions League. Now, I think that's true and, to a degree, not true because the squad has changed. The squad is different to last season. Now we have Havertz and, and, um, and Raya and Rice. We are going to play more. We are going to change up still. There is going to be changes to the eleven for the Champions League. Um, but what I would say is that those competitive games that are more competitive than they were in the Champions League are now uh, Europa League, sorry, are now being tackled by the fact that we've got a greater comp- competition throughout the squad. So I think that we will sti- we will still see second team players, if you like, play or players that are on the bench in the Premier League because those players are good enough to be in the first team now. You know, so I think you're going to see Trossard, Jorginho, Raya, um, players like that play more, Kivior, you know, in the Champions League, I think because they're good enough to start in our Premier League team. So that's that's really important. Mr. Justlyn says, Tom, how do you get better at FPL? I'm rock bottom in my last private league of 23. Mate, um, I wouldn't be arrogant enough to say that I am the person to come to when it, to, to get advice on FPL, I'm, I'm a decent player at FPL. You know, I usually finish in a decent position in most leagues that I'm involved in. Um, I rarely ever get to top spot. I am currently joint, I think, joint second in my mate's league at the moment. Um, but uh, and there are some very, very good players in there that are featuring the top thousand or even ten thousand players in the world. So it's a very competitive league there. But when it comes to FPL, um, I think. It, there are lots of outlets out there, lots of Twitter accounts, lots of podcasts that you should listen to. If you really want to get better, listen to the podcasts. Uh, I think uh, The Athletic do a really good fantasy podcast. Um, I think the Premier League do their own podcast with um, AC Jimbo. So it's worth checking out and listening to some FPL podcasts. Um, they give you lots of good stats um, and and things like that. Differentials are good. You know, you need to try and find players that a lot of other people don't use. Um and that are going to be doing well. So try and find some differentials, which is basically like a good differential player is somebody with a low player usage so that not many players are using that player. So use them and you'll get more points over your rivals. But... Yeah, tricky. When you're at the bottom of the table, you've got to take more risks, which is risky. But if they pay off, you can quickly get to the table. If you're at the top of the table, you take less risks, like captaining Haaland every week, basically. Um, which I know most people do. But I didn't captain Haaland this week. I captained Dolly Watkins and it paid off. So Haaland blanked and Watkins got an assist. So it proved to be the right choice. Should have captain Matoma, but uh, <laughs> we live and we learn. Right. Um, that's going to bring us to the end of today's show. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Very much appreciate your time, as always. I hope you have an absolutely fantastic day basking in the glory of Arsenal's three points um and certainly uh i'm very very happy indeed that so many of you continue to join us in these morning shows especially for a match reaction show as well uh do drop a like and subscribe and uh, all those lovely things i would also like to take just a very brief moment to um give my remembering thoughts to our good friend Vinny. um a couple of days ago uh was the uh year anniversary that sadly we lost our good friend, Vinny. Um, and I know that his his wife, Leo, and a lot of his friends uh, did a really nice event in Victoria Park in London on Sunday and released some balloons and had some really nice time. And I, I really wanted to be there and I sadly couldn't get out of an engagement that I had. But um, every time before the... Every, every Arsenal home game, I go and visit Vinny's plaque. And I encourage you to do the same if you would like to um we if you're new to the channel uh vinnie was a, a member of the channel and a listener and he sadly passed away due to esophageal cancer um, we've raised a lot of money for cancer McMillan who did some fantastic work in looking after Vinny, Um, and, uh, we also raised money to have a plaque placed outside the Emirates stadium. If you would like to see and like to go and see it, what you need to do is when you get to the Emirates stadium, if you're looking at the armory, so you're looking at the armory, you need to go up the stairs to the right hand side of the armory and you go up. So towards the Thierry Henry statue and behind the Thierry Henry statue, there is a load of like, um, red and white, um, kind of painted, uh, well, I don't know what the- Way to call it, they're kind of red and silver painted plaques. Uh, the one that Vinny's on at the moment, it's one of the newest ones. So, if you go all the way down around the corner of the stadium, if you go towards the end of all the plaques, you'll be able to find um, Vinny's plaque there. It's the one that has, says hashtag uh, a sexy bald man and Jacques as bodyguards. Uh, and if you find it, um, just say a little prayer for Vinny, whether you're religious or not, you know, just say a little prayer for our boy and uh. I give it a tap and uh, and go and carry on with my day and, and hope Arsenal can get the points. So but it's it's something I think that's brought a lot of people within our community very much closer together. It's yeah, something that I do before every game that I'm at the Emirates, I go and see that plaque and I encourage you to go and do it too. Um Dave says I make that same pilgrimage when I manage to get down. Yeah, it's it's a really nice um it's a really nice thing um that we've done. So yeah, I think it's 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 great. Um but yeah, I just wanted to finish the show with that um, because I know that Vinny was a really important part of this community and uh, we miss him every single day. Thank you everyone that's tuned in. I really appreciate your time. Drop a like, subscribe, all that lovely stuff. You know, Vinny would be telling you to smash that like button and, uh, and to subscribe. Um, that's what he did every single time he came onto the uh, the member show. He'd always encourage our new members to come on the show and our previews as well. And I know that Alpha Dan has, has taken on that responsibility in a really, really fantastic way. So uh, thank you uh, to everybody. Uh, but we'll see you soon. And as always, I'll the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute.